Christopher Nolan. I think he's a great director. Terrible I, writer. He made a movie about dreams. He realized it sucked. And then he's like, oh, no, it's about <laughs> filmmaking, I swear. Where's the giant 60-foot nightmare clowns with fucking balloon animals for genitalia? This is unconstructed dream space. Where's the fucking mindfuck shit? Why didn't you pull the machines? Why didn't you call them? You didn't see what was going on? Well, there's no way to determine that. Yes, Sam. there is. An infallible way. They won. Well, it's a casino. People got to win sometimes. Hey, what do you think? I'm a fucking idiot. Probability on one four-wheel machine is a million and a half to one. On three machines in a row, it's in the billions. It cannot happen. Would not happen. You fucking Momo, what's the matter with you? Maybe it was the love of the planets. Maybe it was just my growing dislike for this one. But for as long as I can remember, I have dreamed of going into space. Now that I've met you... Would you object to never seeing me again? The biggest regret of my life, I let my love go. That price on my head, was that dead or alive? Don't remember. See if he starts shooting. I don't ask you over for dinner and then suggest you give a lecture on the peoples of Mesoamerica or whatever your pre-Columbian shit is. This is my job. This is how I pay the fucking rent. The same gentleman that told me that you tried to get your broker's license also told me that you were a straight arrow. He ran a security check on me. Well... Sail on a boat fit for a Bond villain, sometimes you need to play the part, right? First of all, dude, you don't have an ex. Secondly, this is a fucking show dog with fucking papers. You can't board it, it gets upset. Its hair falls out. Walter. Fucking no. dog has fucking papers. Over the line! Huh? I'm sorry, Smokey, you were over the line, that's a foul. What happened? Did your, did your balls drop off? <laughs> Welcome into episode 9 of Film Tank. On today's episode, we'll be discussing the 2010 Christopher Nolan film Inception. On today's episode, we have Nick Cheney with us. Oh, I'm sorry. I was dreaming. (laughs) (laughs) You top yourself every week. I think you should be really proud of that. I am. (laughs) Also, Toussaint Egan on the show today. I bought the airline. Oh, okay. Very good. That was racist. <laughs> what was that? Was that racist? It would be funny if people didn't know what he was talking about. I know about the outline. He sounded more Indian than anything, but oh, that's wow. all right. And Kenny Marcellus also here today. I'm not getting in on these shenanigans. No. No. <laughs> What's going on, guys? What's Pro- going on? It's probably for the best. Just keep it simple. And... You guys are fucked in like seven months, and you're trying to come up with something new every week. I think Nick will be all right. I was going to say, I he's going to be fine. Toussaint's huh? already struggling. So, <laughs> uh, um, if I didn't mention to uh, I am Alex Diekman, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Film Tank Show. You can also email us at filmtankshow at gmail.com. And uh, also, you can find us on our website, filmtankshow.com, and on iTunes and Stitcher. And uh, since we're going to have a little bit of a change with that, the guy who's the pro with uh, the internets around here, Nick Cheney, uh, wanted to tell you guys about some uh, a couple little changes we're making that are pretty exciting, I think. Nerd. Yeah. <laughs> Nerd. You know, you say that, but you were the one who wanted the new website. <laughs> um, one of our big changes, we will be getting a new website, but anybody who's been going to filmtankshow.com will not have to do anything different because it'll be at the same address. So that'll be exciting in case you uh, happen to stumble upon that later this week and you notice there's going to be some big changes there. 
The other thing I wanted to mention is if you have subscribed to us on iTunes, there's been a change there, and it's very simple to correct, but unfortunately we were not able to do it on, uh, let's say, on the back end because Apple sometimes doesn't make things easy on their uh, customers. So if you have subscribed to us on iTunes, in order to keep getting new episodes, you're going to have to actually delete us, which you can do by where you have, uh, if you've already subscribed to us, basically, you find where our podcast is, and then you just right-click in it uh, on it in iTunes. Or if you're in your iPhone and you don't do it on iTunes, you just click the edit button up at the top and then just click the red delete button and then just basically resubscribe. And that's all you got to do. And then you'll actually start getting our new episodes because unfortunately we had to change one little website thing behind the scenes and it would prevent anybody who's already subscribed to getting the new episodes. Yeah, so we're actually telling our listeners to delete our podcast from their subscription, yes. uh, but then pick us back up and we'll go back yes. flawlessly. But if you subscribe to us anywhere else, like Stitcher or in any other podcast aggregator, you should have no problems, as far as I know. So it's really Apple that's the problem here. Pretty much, yes, but let's hope they're not listening to this one. <laughs> I, um, they, they may be. You, know, you never know with their podcasts on iTunes libraries. That's true, and when you submit, <laughs> they say that they do listen to it. Yeah, uh, we don't know who it is. It could be somebody in Bangladesh listening to it, but who, who knows. But uh, So yeah, that's all I wanted to say about that, and um, I thought maybe we'd open up the floor to uh, what have you guys been watching this week? Um, anybody? Um, I didn't watch it. Hardly anything. I, nothing. I was busy as hell. Par for week. the course, Kenny. Busy Par as for hell. the course. Uh, I, I guess I'll bring up something just to start off. Actually, <sighs> me and Nick watched a, a movie that I hadn't thought about in a long time uh, called Orange County. Oh, that's right. Uh, love that movie. That is a wow. great little movie I right there. I forgot about that movie. Yeah, yeah. So did I. I love that movie. It is. It, it really stacks up. And something. the is thing that, I wanted to mention more about. Colin Hanks? Tom yeah. Hanks? Yep. Yeah. Colin Hanks, Jack Black, uh, John Lithgow. <laughs> yeah. He plays the writer. Yeah. yeah. I, like that guy. Oh, I just remembered Jack Black rolling down the hill in his underwear uh, the, after breaking into the, 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 the movie has the, it was my favorite that I completely forgot about. Nick, not that he spoiled it, but he's like, oh, I love what he does this. And he, he's in the bedroom and he goes from the one, he's a small bedroom. He's one side of the bedroom to the other, get his mass assortment of pills that he has. He does a cartwheel over the bed for some reason. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And all the pills are in the wrong containers. Yes. Yeah. And that, that re- leads to a, um, Hilarious, hilarious thing with Harold Ramis taking three hits of ecstasy. So, but uh, the thing I wanted to mention about that film is it is it follows a trend. There, let's let's put it this way: the trend in films these days, even comedies, goes against what made that film so great to me. Is it's an eighty-two minute film, and it does not need to be any longer than that. Like you see right. what you wanted, you got what you wanted out of it, and it's over. There's it, no unnecessary elongated scenes for no reason. It's a very tight script. It's literally just like it's almost like a two-act story because mm-hmm. it's just everything that happens at the house and then everything that happens on the road trip. And it, mm-hmm. like you said, it's actually way better because of that. Yeah, I I, I could have used another scene of. What's his name? Bob, the old man in the wheelchair, <laughs> rolling down the stairs with his with his hair blowing up in the air. I just love how he's like so angry, and then at the <laughs> end, he's like over in the corner, and her, her uh, pardon me, his wife has already gotten back with uh, her ex husband John, John Lithgow, and he's just still sitting there holding the bag, and he's just sitting in his wheelchair. He's like, "Hey guys, how's it trip?" <laughs> He's just such a cute old man. I think that's the only criticism I have of a film that I actually quite enjoy is that I feel like all the adult actors are so much better than the the teenage actors. Yeah. And like watching John Lithgow and uh, Catherine O'Hara play off of each other, I would have watched that entire movie like based around that. Mm-hmm. But in general, that is one of the 
better uh let's say high school comedies ish uh to come out in my generation well and we also got to see uh, leslie mann and not uh any of judd apatow's kids getting whored out in it so that was good <laughs> yeah i don't even know if they were born i mean that movie if you think about it that was what did we figure out that was 2002 Two. or 2001 yeah. wow 2002 yeah that, okay yeah that makes sense the early 2000s it's it's over 12 13 years old now Gosh. so it's it's going on, but it was it's a lot of fun, and especially was, if you haven't seen it in a while, it's a nice one to come back to. That was back when MTV was actually making movies, and not only that, but mm. making good movies. Yeah. There's that, and then there's also, they made Election. I mean, they made some actual good uh, high school comedies before they completely dropped off. Yeah. yeah. Napoleon Dynamite. <laughs> uh, that's contestable. <laughs> oh. All right, so uh, I brought Orange County. What about you guys? I know, Kenny, you said you didn't really yeah, watch that much this super week. Super busy. No. I um, I watched a documentary for the very first time. I've been meaning to watch it called For All Mankind. Okay. It came out in 1989, directed by Al Reinhardt. And it is a, um, it's a very short documentary. It's like 80-something <laughs> minutes. And it literally is just video footage of uh, the moon landing. And the way it was constructed was that I think either Al Reinhardt or the producers were somehow like touring NASA one day or something like that to get some information. And they basically stumbled upon a video archive of over like thousands of hours of footage that nobody knew existed. Like they taped every single aspect of every single moon mission, whether it be just in the mission control or they had cameras on the, you know, the shuttles and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But literally, like, NASA never released any of this. Like, all we obviously, the public, got to see was what was transmitted on the t- television broadcast. Right. Yeah, the moon landing, the, like, famous with the guy who was doing the broadcast taking yep. his glasses off and that kind of thing. Yeah, and so, like, that's all we got to see. And so once uh, Al Reinhardt and the producers, like, basically discovered this treasure trove, they were like, we need to not only make a documentary, but what's great about it is that that's all it is. There are no talking heads. There are no... Um, what he did was he... He took footage from every... He kind of makes one, like, it's kind of hard to explain, but since the footage itself comes from uh, multiple uh, moon missions, he kind of splices it together to look like one mission in general because, I mean, I don't think it's, like, cheating or anything because we can only... We're only going to sit and watch it for, you know, eight. So they skipped that part where the uh, cockpit exploded on uh, Apollo 1, right? (laughs) Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And NASA um, was like, you know, we lost that one. I don't know where that is. No, but they do have a dedication card at the very end where they said okay. the movie was dedicated to everybody who lost their life in any of the moon missions. And they listed off everybody from the Challengers and some of the Apollo missions. Oh, okay. That was so, good of them. Yeah, nice. that was very good. Yeah. And um, so what they essentially do is kind of construct one mega narrative out of, you know, all the various moon landings um, video footage. And then they brought in all the, not all, but a collection, uh, kind of an assortment of all the astronauts and people who worked in mission control during these uh, missions to come and basically like almost like do commentary hmm. over. So they would talk about the footage on screen rather than cut to them going like, oh, and like rubbing their chin while they're thinking or whatever. Yeah. So it's just a very tight 80-minute documentary that contains some of the most beautiful footage, uh, documentary footage I've ever seen, of course, because some of this footage is literally taken from cameras that were in the shuttle and not being transmitted. Oh, so wow. it's actually in good condition for being, you know, 1960. Mm-hmm. And it was just fantastic. Was so, it better than Gravity? 
It was much better. <laughs> well, and knowing you, Nick, uh, when something comes out, and what year did that come out? Is that nineteen eighty nine? Okay, that's when it. Yeah, that's when it came out. I'm assuming that all because were, were these shot on like film cameras or yeah. okay? Yeah, so, so yeah, you got the nice grain there and whatnot. Oh yeah, oh, yeah it's it's fantastic. I was gonna say, <laughs> knowing you and how uh, how giddy you get from there's an actual film that comes out. I am a celluloid slut. <laughs> <laughs> So, Tucson, uh, let's move to you. Did you uh, have anything in your week that you saw that you thought was, uh, other than Predator, did you watch Predator again? No, I didn't watch Predator again. <laughs> when are you going to let me live that down? Anyway. Can you give us another scene? Because we've never seen it. No, I think we should uh, do an nope. episode sometime in the future. And we can all watch it together for the first time. <laughs> anyway, um, I watched, uh, per your recommendation, finally. Whose recommendation? Nick's recommendation. Sorry, Nick. Yeah. Works great for yeah, podcasting. Yeah, I know. Pointing. Uh, I watched, hey, I knew who he was talking to. <laughs> I watched the first four episodes of Community on Yahoo Screen, oh. and I really enjoy it. Yeah. I, I'm really enjoying this this new season. It's a lot stronger than the last one. Um, the addition of Keith David as sort of the, the computer scientist guy who yep. is just like, on on the fringes, like, I'm nobody's fourth Ghostbuster. I am no. I have a brain. I <laughs> yes. have a brain the size of Jupiter. I am nobody's fourth Ghostbuster. Yes. I was like, yes, like he's yeah. um, one of my favorite actors, and it was really cool. I'm looking forward yeah. to watching more. I watched the first three episodes of Daredevil. Finally, ooh, I'm I glad watched, you bring that up because I was going to ask, should I start watching that, dude? I watched the first episode. I, I am. Uh, I am very impressed. Like I think cool. that. Like one of our most common criticisms of the the MCU, like the, the PG rating. No, not not just the, the the PG rating. I'm talking about the the what we would call the tonal homogenization of that entire franchise. Because it's hard to like tell like Thor apart from Iron Man, apart from Captain America, because it seems like it's going for the same paces and it's going for the same like like level of jokes. Like the one like aberration in that has been Guardians of the Galaxy, which is more self-referential, more poking fun at itself. I would say, if you want to talk about tone, and we're just talking about the Avengers movies, yeah. right? With involved the characters from the Avengers. Yeah. I think the only film that I can really think of that had a different tone than all the other ones was the third Iron Man movie. What, am, I off, am I off there? I, I, kind I of was going to say the first Captain America movie. Okay. Yeah. Just because that's got like the period piece thing going, mm-hmm. and it's kind of more serious than the other ones. Um, although this might Seriously, be a good a time way. to plug what our next episode will be. Oh, uh, yeah, we what are. Gonna be? We are going to be doing a uh, our first uh, top six episode, not top five. Nope, no, no, because no. we're better than everybody else. Yeah, we're doing one one extra than everybody else. <laughs> it's fucking bonus content. <laughs> that's what that is. So we're going to do uh, since the Avengers: uh, Age of Ultron is coming out, and we will be doing a show mm-hmm. on that uh, in a couple weeks when that comes out where you thought it'd be cool to do our top six superhero movies. So each host will bring their different list of six, and we'll see uh, where the differences are and who has disagreements and who thinks that Batman's cool and who thinks Captain America's stupid and all that good stuff. And we stuff. will not be charging our listeners for that sixth uh, entry. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, we're, we're good like that. But, um... Like I was talking about for, for, for <laughs> what I was talking about for Daredevil. Daredevil yes, um, I really enjoyed it. There was a, a fight scene towards the end of the second episode, which was one continu- with the bowling with the the bowling. Oh no, sorry, I'm thinking of somebody else. Never mind. Okay, um, yep. there there was a, a fight scene at the end of the the second episode that was filmed in sort of like one continuous take yes. in that it really reminded me of Old Boy in that way. But I think they cheated because yep. they they. 
had um, Daredevil go into a room and then it closed the door for a second and then he burst out and just like video people. But it was still pretty awesome. Kenny, take this for what it's worth. I'm not a big fan of pretty much any of these superhero movies. He's really not. And I've enjoyed what I've seen so far of the first two or three episodes. So th- these of are our episodes, right? Yeah, there are no, 13 like, of them. 13 yep, episodes. It's basically yeah. like, you know, like what you find on HBO or something right. like, but it's on Netflix. I okay. don't want to binge this. That's how good it is. I don't yeah. want to binge it. I want to like cuz you save for it. So here cuz you don't know when the second season's going to come yeah. out. Right? Here's a question. Yep. So, and Daredevil's played by Charlie Cox, right? Is that I correct? think so. Yeah. Yes. And he let me say this also, he is fantastic and he's probably better than Ben Affleck. <laughs> That's not he's a not bar just, you have to reach for. I was going to say, he's just not just better than it. Ben Affleck. It was literally like something I had no expectations for when I turned it on, and he's probably the reason why I'm continuing to watch. It's amazing that he has such a commanding performance for, obviously, the character that he's playing, which is a very kind of, you know, he, he's blind, and he kind of doesn't have a lot of movement that mm-hmm. he can work with, except for in the fight scenes and whatnot. Right. But he's like, I can't take my eyes off of him. <laughs> he was. Oh, oh, I got that one. He was uh, a lot of people's not favorite, but he was one of the unsung favorite characters from Boardwalk Empire. Oh, he was in that. He was okay. for a couple seasons, so a lot of people loved him. A lot of the ladies oh, loved him as well. Well, I, so. and Nick. Yeah. That's, yeah. <laughs> um, the other thing I was gonna say, the only, my only criticism is I feel like some of the supporting characters are not like Foggy and um, what's her name. How many? Oh, yeah. What's her name? Yeah, I know. That's literally what's I'm, her name. Unfortunately, I yeah. forget what. <laughs> How many episodes is. have you watched? You've watched. I literally forgot. It's either two or three. I kind of watched them all in like a binge. I think two, maybe. Yeah, he but, already um, made his way into the whiskey. At let's that just point. say Charlie Cox is so good in it that it kind of shows how not great uh, his two supporting sidekicks are. I'm looking are. forward to seeing um, the actor who's going to be portraying the kingpin. I was going to say I haven't met uh, the character yet, but I hear it's supposed to be a really good portrayal. Yeah. Um, I think that. This Daredevil adaptation is pretty much what happens when you put people who are actually fans of the original property behind it and how it integrates itself into like the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I wasn't expecting that. Yeah, and they, they mention they touch on it in a very yeah. in, a, in a very tasteful way. They don't they don't go heavy handed with it, but you know that nope. this exists in the same universe, which is really weird for me thinking that. Yeah, because it's such a tonally different show. Yeah, this, this is like it's created by. Um, Stephen uh, Knight and Drew Goddard, well, Drew Goddard primarily, mm. who got his start writing for Buffy and a few other Joss Whedon shows. wonder how he got that in with Marvel. Oh, wow. Well, he's actually very good. And, I, I know, but I'm assuming yes, the, the Joss Whedon right. thing was but, there. But um, the other producer is, like I said, Stephen Knight, and he was the creator of Spartacus, the show that was on uh, Stars. And um, that was a great show that nobody watched. Um, I have to watch that show. It's on Netflix. I was going to say it got added to Netflix. So everybody should watch it. But that was a ultra-violent, kind of very gritty show. And you can kind of see how that how they successfully married that kind of tone with the Marvel show. Uh, hmm. Because, it's, yeah, this is definitely not the kind of thing that would air in theaters. Because it's very violent. And uh, it's it's just telling the line between like what you would consider like PG-13 and R. Okay. Mm-hmm. So it, it's, it's interesting. It's definitely, as someone who doesn't love, sorry, I kind of took over your no wrong. thing. Yeah. But as someone who doesn't even like superhero things, I was I got quite a bit out of it. It's pretty much um, a show that takes everything from the very best era of Daredevil's run, which was Frank Miller's era. Like oh, okay. Be- before he, he got all crazy and old and xenophobic and racist and shit. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, if, you, if you like that era of, of Daredevil, you will definitely like this. I also, just today, um, 
on the whim of curiosity, I finally sat down and watched The Babadook. Oh, really? On Netflix. You did that after you said you wanted us to do that in a future episode? Yeah, that yeah. was when I had my my, my curiosity got the better of me, and it's a really good movie. Okay, good. Leave it there because we're going to actually <laughs> maybe do an episode on it. Okay. Unlike Predator, which you've ruined for everybody now. Oh, whatever. <laughs> an idea. Resilient, highly contagious. Once an idea has taken hold of the brain, it's almost impossible to eradicate it. An idea that is fully formed, fully understood, that sticks. Right in there somewhere. Well, someone like you to steal? Yes, in the dream state, your conscious defenses are lowered and it makes your thoughts vulnerable to theft. It's called extraction. Mr. Saito, we can train your subconscious to defend itself from even the most skilled extractor. How can I do that? Because I am the most skilled extractor. Inception. Now, before you bother telling me it's impossible... It's no, it's perfectly possible. It's just bloody difficult. So Arthur keeps telling me it can't be done. <laughs> Arthur. You're still working with that stick in the mouth. Man at the bar. Cobalt engineering. That price on my head, was that dead or alive? Don't remember. See if he starts shooting. You mustn't be afraid to dream a little bigger, darling. Robert's relationship with his father is stressed, to say the least. Well, can we run with that? We could suggest to him breaking up his father's company as a screw you to the old man. No, because I think positive emotion trumps negative emotion every time. We all yearn for reconciliation, for catharsis. We need Robert Fisher to have a positive emotional reaction to all this. All right, we'll try this. Um, my father accepts that I want to create for myself, not follow in his footsteps. That might work. Might. We need to do a little better than might. Thank you for your contribution, Arthur. Dreams, they feel real while we're in them, right? It's only when we wake up that we realize something was actually strange. Let me ask you a question. You, you never really remember the beginning of a dream, do you? You always wind up right in the middle of what's going on. So how did we end up here? So the movie we're talking about today is the 2010 movie Inception, directed and written by Christopher Nolan, and it stars Leonardo DiCaprio, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Ellen Page, Tom Hardy, Ken Watanabe, Killian Murphy, Tom Berenger, Marion Cotillard, Pete Pastwelty, I always forget how to say his name, and Michael Caine. Michael, Michael Caine! <laughs> Uh, and if you haven't seen this movie, which judging by the huge uh, box office it did, you probably have seen it at some point. But if you haven't, it's about Shame a... Shame on you if you haven't. Oh, well, I think there might be some people who disagree with you and uh, my feelings on it, but that's okay. A thief who steals corporate secrets through the use of dream-sharing technology is given the inverse task of planting an idea in the mind of a business's CEO. So that is the awesome-sounding... Uh, kind of line about what the movie is and i'm guessing we've all seen this movie multiple times mm, yes this panel as it is kind of a not a classic movie like the conversation was but it is a older movie that we're talking about on here and came out in 2010 yeah 
Yeah, it's five years old now, which is kind of scary to say. But Damn near a classic. Damn near. Well, and since I think Kenny is the one out of everyone who likes it the most, this is one of your favorite movies of all time. Let's start with Let's start with you and just, just fucking jump in there and get at it. Mmm. <laughs> Love me some Inception. <laughs> <laughs> we can't get better than that. Um, aside from the plot of uh, Leonardo DiCaprio being this this thief and all that. I, I what I like most about this movie is just the whole living consciously inside of a subconscious situation, being in a dream basically. Uh it it kind of just strikes a nerve for me creatively. It's something that I've always just kind of thought fantasizing wise would be just awesome. Just mm-hmm. to be able to go inside of your own dream and be able to construct things and do it. It's pretty much kind of like living inside of the Sims video game. Yeah. Kind of how I, every time I watch this movie, that's all I can think. But, um, yeah. So, so the whole idea of, you know, getting inside of a dream to, to plant ideas inside of somebody's head. I mean, it does start to get pretty crazy and out there, but just the whole, um, yeah, like, like I said, the, the dream aspect of it is just, I guess for me, what what I get upset about is I I don't I'm not the kind of person that can remember my dreams very often. I don't know some people are better about that than others, and I remember you as have I, to train yourself. Yeah, to, didn't you I, listen to him? Well, <laughs> and and I know that that's actually true. Like you, there are ways you can go about doing that, and yeah, just go out and buy a dream catcher <laughs> or a dream journal. Just darn man. Kevin Costner. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, <laughs> um. Like, okay, so I used to remember my dreams a lot more as a kid, and I kind of envy my younger self for not being able to do that anymore. And so every time I watch this movie, it's just kind of this thing that's tapping into my wishing I could still do that. But um, the the, the scene when when, uh, Cobb, Leonardo DiCaprio, and and Ellen Page, her name is Ariadne, um, when, when he brings her into a dream sequence for the first time, and is kind of explaining to her. She's unknowingly in the situation. Uh, well, that, that, that is one of the few scenes that I have a huge problem with. So how does she not really? know that she's dreaming? She obviously went to... The, like, did he chloroform her? Like, does she not know that she... Well, I think it was more... <laughs> You're doing my work for me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's one of the scenes that I've always thought was really awkward because... I feel like if you put yourself in her situation... Okay, so he was going to show her... Yeah. She, she knowingly went into this, kind of knowing what she was getting into, but not having been in that situation, it, it, when you're in a dream, it seems very realistic. I'm going to have to agree with, with uh, Kenny on this, because that scene alone, I think, is it, it taps into something that's very much an on-point like observation about the nature of dreams, which is when you're in them, there's right. no causality for it. It's just like... Explain this to me. When you go to bed... Do you what do know, you wear? Do you, do, okay, but a, a what are you wearing? But B do you do you know that moment when you finally knock off and you're sleeping? No, I don't. But here, here's here's what I'll say. Obviously, she consciously knows what they were doing. They were talking about the correct, but they, your subconscious doesn't always inform right. your conscious. So going, I actually kind of agree as far as going yes. into the scene, okay. she knew what she was getting into. But just like going yeah. to bed. You yep, don't I, you don't realize that moment when you finally are out. I, I'm with I'm with both parties here because I think one of my problems with the script, which I'll get into later, is that this is just a routine example of the script glossing over 
uh, unspoken rules, despite the fact that it speaks out every other rules. Mm-hmm. But yeah. in general, I do kind of see what Kenny's saying, which is like when you go to sleep, when you're in the dream, because like Kenny, I don't really remember my dreams anymore either, but I totally did when I was a kid for some right. weird reason. Right. Um, but I do remember whenever I'd be in my dream, I wouldn't remember that I was dreaming, yeah. despite the fact that it was probably mere moments of when I just laid my head down on the pillow. So I'm mm-hmm. with that because considering the you know the levels of consciousness are separate, right? then it makes perfect sense to me. I guess part of the other thing that I like about this movie so much, and, and you guys are, are definitely going to bring stuff up that I maybe either didn't think about or I'm just not going to agree with, but I, I feel like this movie, what I like so much about it is it it it, it kind of, it, it doesn't even have to create its own rules in the sense that you're, the entire movie takes place for the most part in a dream sequence. And so or does it? a lot of the shit that's going on <laughs> within this movie, and you're like, that doesn't make sense. It, it's in a fucking dream. Like you, you can do anything in your dreams. True, well, but then that's also lazy writing. Well, and I, I will say this to, to your. <laughs> I'm late, just saying, like it's it's, it's two sides of the it, same it, coin. It's eschewing uh, plot holes and plot incons- inc- inconsistencies. It was all a dream. Well, here's the beauty. I used to be Word of magazine. <laughs> here's the beauty of writing this movie. Notorious Big. You know? All right, I, yeah. I, I know who he is. Or I'm sorry, was, Kenny. Yes. The the beauty of the inconsistencies and problems with the plot in this movie you all you you only have to go as far as saying mm-hmm. it's a dream what you can do anything in your dreams that you want anything nothing has to make sense nothing dreams themselves are a suspension of disbelief that, that's excellent that's if you could do anything definitely. you want then why would Cobb lock his ex-wife in a just just okay next one <laughs> oh, i'm next sorry one, yeah. tucson just shoot me uh, yeah. away <laughs> yeah, i, can't, I yeah. can't speak now yeah. so, so anyway maybe you're dreaming yeah so i <laughs> I guess getting back to that original scene, uh, there there are so many uh, graphics and, and special effects in this movie that, that I love. And I actually was reading through some of the trivia stuff, and it was explaining that for a, for a movie of this nature, not as much of it was CGI as you would expect. No. Like, like the hallway. They actually right, the hallway, yeah. rotated yeah. the hallway. Right. Yeah. Which was which was pretty neat, but no, visually this is a great movie. Um, it's got I, Wally Fister and Oscar, and he's a horrible director, so he should hold yeah. on to that tightly. <laughs> he should. <laughs> but but yeah, mostly what I love about this movie was just the submersive world that you're in throughout the entire film. I I love it. I love it. It, it gets confusing at times, but um, I I don't know. That, yeah. that never stopped me from liking it at yeah. all. I I fucking love how submersed I get in this movie. Yeah. So, giving my opinions, I probably love this film almost as much as Kenny does. I'm a huge fan of it. I'll explain sort of why I still like it as much as I do. I I have watched this movie probably six or seven times now through its entirety. I've seen it multiple times on HBO or whatever and caught 20 minutes of it here and there. But I've sat down and watched it probably six times now. And I feel like I've never watched it the same way twice. I feel like there's so many different ways you can think about it, whether it's focusing on the wedding ring on Cobb's hand. Mm-hmm. Or if you want to think about the film as a metaphor for filmmaking in general and think about each character's different role and, oh, so Cobb is the director and whatever is the stage manager and the... Saito is the producer. Yeah. Ariadne is the, the set designer. They all have their different roles. So you can watch it like that. You can watch it thinking it's all a dream, thinking... And there's so many different ways you can watch this movie and I just feel like every time I've sat down and watched it, I've had a different thought process going in. That being said, I have all kinds of individual things that I love about this movie. I feel like this has so much of not exactly like Ocean's Eleven, but I feel like that heist thing where there's all these different people who have different jobs throughout it. Mm-hmm. Some of my favorite scenes in this movie 
are the different dreamers on the worlds completing their tasks on their own. Now, the whole thing with Yusef driving the van off the bridge and it slowing down. Time. Well, yeah, that is something that you could easily get. And I'll get to that in just a second. But those scenes, mainly Arthur and Eames, when they're on the second and third level, respectively, completing their tasks on their own, which there's no dialogue in those scenes. So maybe that's why I love them so much, because this does get a little heavy on dialogue and mm-hmm. that kind of thing. But I just love those scenes, and I love so much about this movie, just the different levels it goes through, how they move from level to level, and you have to you have to always have them together in your mind, even mm-hmm. if they're not perfectly together on the screen. Right. You know how they, real quick, you know how they cheat that in Japan, <laughs> I found out? When they, when they show this on TV in Japan, they put subtitles for the scene, the, <laughs> oh, really? the, the level of dream that they're in. Wow. Just to keep the audience from, from being confused. <laughs> Sounds like something Fox would do. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Oh boy. Uh, there are all kinds of quotes in this movie that uh, always like are not callbacks, but if you didn't know it from the first time, you would love it. Like when uh, they, they're going to have to train or they're on the train at the very beginning of the film after Saito's dream for the first time. And Cobb says, I'm getting off at Kyoto. And then uh, he says, I don't like trains. And you get the context yeah. for that with Marion Cotillard's character, Maul with the dreams or all kinds of little things like, I'm asking you to take a leap of faith throughout it, and she leaps to her death later. <sighs> Just all kinds of lovely things like that. But here's what I'll ultimately get to. Even though I love this movie, I'm gonna I'm gonna go back to another Christopher Nolan movie, which I love as well, and also gave a really good score to, and I like more than this movie, which is The Prestige. Mm-hmm. And it is explained by Michael Caine for the most part at three different times in that movie about how the audience wants to know the secret. They want to know more about it. You want to know everything. But at the end of the day, when they find out the secret... The allure is what puts, what yes. pulls them. It's the mystique that they want. But at the end of the day, the audience doesn't really want to know, even if they do. The more they see something, the more mm-hmm. they find out about it, the less excited they were. It becomes mundane. Which is why I... And I'm, I'm going to try to coin... And there may be a term for this when it comes to films. Are you thinking of anything where people like things more when they first see it? And then as they know more and more about it, they like it less and less. Not a specific phrase, no. So since I used the prestige to use this, I called it the magical letdown, oh. which <laughs> is maybe a really stupid name. But I, like I feel like... Oh, oh, it's stupid. Oh, I like it, though. Thanks, Kenny. Almost everybody I know... We might have to start a film tag glossary on the oh, website. Oh, no. <laughs> the magical letdown. It sounds like a bad Thomas the Tank episode. First edition. Chappie was a magical letdown. <laughs> well, that's a different kind of magical letdown. Anyways, what it means, basically, is that... You love it when you first see it. I feel like everybody I know who saw this in the theater, they wanted to know more about it. They enjoyed it. And the more they saw it and the more I thought about it, the less they liked it, which I feel like is kind of true with magic tricks. If you think about it too much, you're not going to like it as much as, oh, I saw that girl that saw it in half. But then you're like, oh, her legs are just behind her. It's not as cool anymore. So I totally get where anybody who does not like this movie or not that they don't like it, but they don't like it as much. I kind of, I totally get where they're coming from because there are, there's so much exposition in this movie and there are so many reasons to not like this movie, but I, I, I love it every time. Toussaint, let's move on to you as I think you are not going to be as high as Kenny and me were. (laughs) All right. So I'm going to have to say, Alex, you totally knocked it out of the park with um, (laughs) magical letdown. I think that is a. Oh, uh, that was uh, I apologize. Good old, the good old <laughs> film tank. How can I help you? <laughs> what? Our power's out. Okay. 
Yeah. What, what, you, uh, uh, what so, era are you from? Yeah, you kind of... Uh, actually, you know what he sounded like? He sounded like Adam Driver's character in While We're Young. <laughs> yeah. 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 All right. Very good. Anyway. All right. Can, um, continue on. Do something. All right. So, Alex, I think you totally knocked it out of the park with your description of the magical letdown because that's what this film was for me. Like, when I first saw Inception... Like, I was nothing short of enraptured by it. I, I thought it was a classic film. Mm-hmm. I really... The, what, what I do enjoy about the film is that when it came out, it had this relatively, like, novel premise of, like, trying to describe fortified dream states as impossible feats of architecture. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, it had this this through-line storyline that was very humanistic, and I was able to actually, like, empathize with it, with this man who was going through this personal journey of self-forgiveness and redemption for the fact that he's literally built this maze around himself out of his own guilt and out of his own loss. But as I keep on returning to the film multiple times since it came out in 2010, mm-hmm. I find myself more exhausted than enraptured by it because I feel like the dream is collapsing. I use that all the time. It's like, that's a, that's a quote I keep on using when, whenever shit hits the fan. Um, <laughs> But the film has almost a relatively drab and tame approach to the visual story universe of dreams when compared to the bar like set by many of its predecessors and contemporaries. Like I'm going to name off films. There are films like the multicolored like outlandishness of R- Richard Linklater's Waking Life and Satoshi Kon's Paprika, which was actually one of the visual uh, inspirations for this film. There's Michelle Gondry's Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, even though that deals more with memory. Yeah. It's like there's memory and there's... The Science of Sleep is another film by Michelle Gondry yeah, that's, that's actually really... about dreams. Yeah, it's like um, Science of Sleep, Cameron Crowe's Vanilla Sky, or even the episode Restless from... Buffy. From Joss Whedon's Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I feel like these films and the other forms of visual media tackle the the subject matter of how dreams, fears, and memories cascade into this subconscious reflection of what drives and motivates our waking lives in a much more novel and interesting way. Let, let, just just to, to preface this, I think that Christopher Nolan is a great director. I don't think anybody else on, on this, this table is going to contest that. Like Four of his nine or so films are count as among, among some of our favorites. Like I love The Prestige. I love Memento. Kenny, you love Inception. Alex, you love... I love Interstellar. I love, love Interstellar, Interstellar, too. I love movie. The Dark Knight and, and Batman Begins. And, and, and Nick is drinking Sprite right now, so I'm not sure which one... I love he, Memento. He loves Memento, <laughs> That's yeah. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> don't don't but, you like but, his, the Al Pacino Robin Williams movie? I really like that. Yeah. But it's not like a classic... Movie. Memento is the only one that I would like Here, consider like a five-star film. Here's okay. what I'm, I'm getting back to. totally C-Block in Tucson. For, for Christopher Nolan. I think he's a great director, but I think that his particular style... Terrible writer particular stylistic (laughs) approach to storytelling and filmmaking, which is the thing that he's most known for. The, the, the thing that has won him acclaim for films like Memento and the dark Knight is that he creates these, these kind of high conceptual like action dramas that are anchored into this like plausible contemporary reality. And I feel like that is fundamentally antithetical and incompatible with trying to convey the otherwise inexplicable spontaneity of, of dreams. It's like he's a rule-based director. Like that, that comes through in this film more than any of his other films, in my opinion. Like he's a very rule-based director, but those 
Dreams can't have In rules. dreams, all bets are off, but in Inception, it's just business as usual. Surrealism takes a backseat, and instead, the film focuses on the tried and tested tropes of anti-hero wish fulfillment that you get out of, like, Ocean's Eleven or the James Bond series. Like, my final verdict on Inception is that I think it is a visually impressive, conceptually audacious heist movie, but it's a lackluster dream movie, if at all. Okay, so getting back to kind of what I was thinking about earlier in terms of the dreams... I think everyone gets a little obsessed, and it, it, it's about I me. Mean, it even says in the, it's about dreams or whatever. Yeah. That obviously these aren't just dreams that people would have, like, falling asleep at night. But they are. They, but they, they can't be because they they are more like a virtual reality thing. Even though you are That's having this dream, they create – like, Ellen Page's character actually creates every single part of the world around the characters in it. Yeah, and at this in this movie, they're actually working towards it. Which, mission can i but but there's nothing like inexplicable or crazy that ever happens like where where is the 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 deep seated like sexual tension of Cillian Murphy's like characters like breaking through or something some, there's no I craziness get, that comes I out of this i get what you're yeah. saying because you're saying that these dreams have different purposes than the dreams that you know like you just said when we lay down to go to sleep yeah, yeah Cillian Murphy's okay. filling it with but his here's subconscious the thing, because okay but he's not he's only filling it with his his person in it he's not he's not filling any other thing he is being his mind is being manipulated so he's put into the True. scenario that they pre-chose for him but i guess that's kind of like if what i love that you just said a minute about a minute ago mm-hmm. you said it's like virtual reality that's exactly what i kept coming back to when i was watching this film and it's like so then why even call these dreams because okay for example um you Toussaint brought up uh and i'm gonna bring up another thing here but mm-hmm. buffy the vampire slayer's mm-hmm. Season four finale features an episode in which the characters in the episode, the main characters, basically have an opportunity to kind of walk through their own dreams. Okay, that is a much better portrayal of what that would actually look like because of the idea that – now, I get that this is a different movie, so I'm not trying to say that one should be like the other or whatever. However, what that episode does that this movie kind of fails to at least acknowledge – I mean, it's one thing to you know do, but it's another thing to just kind of completely gloss over is that – there were so many instances in that episode of television in which they would walk into something that they had no idea what was happening mm-hmm. or they could not explain mm-hmm. what was happening. If they're, if they're, if I'm going by the logic of this film where other people are running around in somebody else's subconscious, I don't see how they can have it planned out this well. Like, how come things don't necessarily go wrong other than just like their little like, oh, everybody's looking at you because that's their... Causality so itself is is unbelievable because it's in a dream. It's, and but, as far as everything we do know about dreams, we don't I don't think anybody here dreams literally. The idea that they can manipulate it and like I just think it would have been so much more interesting if we would have basically gotten away with the heist thing. To kind of go off with Ned was saying really quick before Tucson gets to your point. Yeah. I feel like the the problem with that argument is that Films do these kind of things all the time with things that don't truly exist. Like, we don't know if there's someone who can go in and steal things from people's dreams right now. And if there is, it's not commonplace. Like, even though this is not commonplace here, we're viewing it as a movie and it's becoming commonplace to us when we're watching it. Where, where let's just go to a movie like Looper, yeah. where time travel, you have to go with that time travel but is it, real. But it explains and, and kind of lampshades itself with that one scene in the, the diner, the, where yeah. just like, look, man, if we keep on talking about this shit, we're just going to be like making grass with that's, fucking straws all day. That's one of the biggest flaws of this movie for me, is that you have Cobb's character explaining exactly how this works at mm-hmm. every single step. Exposition dump. And movie. yet, it also... 
it paints itself into a corner because of that. Mm-hmm. Because I, I'll say this much at least. I would say 90% of this movie follows its own logic very well, which is a sign of a good script. However, the logic that's put in place, it's just for me at least, it's just not very fascinating to watch because then it does become a simple heist film. It's and heist it becomes, film. like Toussaint said, less of a dream film, which is totally fine. But then stop saying the word dream over and over and just call it virtual reality, like in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead, Toussaint. Okay, so there is one thing. Well, there are a lot of things I like about this film. I don't hate this film. It's just like mm-hmm. I, these are my, my criticisms of it after having seen it multiple, multiple times as it first came out. Um, I like the character of Ariadne from a thematic standpoint because do you guys know the origin of Ariadne as a name? It, it plays into the whole like story of mazes and stuff like that because there's this myth called the myth of Theseus and the Minotaur, right? Where Theseus uh, was this guy who was sent to Crete, I think he was he was from 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 his country, and he had to speak before like the king Minos, who had this this labyrinth that had a minotaur in it, right? And from from Theseus's country, like he demanded they that they send seven women and seven boys every single seven or so years to be sacrificed as a sort of fealty to him. So Theseus was like, yeah, no. So Theseus was like, that's yeah, this guy's obsessed with the number seven too, huh? <laughs> seven women, seven men every seven years, seven or nine years or whatever. Oh, he, he, he didn't really care as long as they sacrificed <laughs> them. It, it, it was, it was like, like battle Royale hunger games. Are we this. talking about predator? Shut up. Anyway. <laughs> Um, so Theseus is like, that's bullshit. I'm going to go into that labyrinth and kill that Minotaur. It's like, good luck. You'll never get out of there. But King Minos had a daughter whose name was Ariadne and Ariadne was able to help Theseus get out of the labyrinth by giving him a sword in order to fight the Minotaur and a a golden like ball of yarn in order to retrace his steps through the actual labyrinth. So like in, in the myth that Ariadne is helping Theseus exit out of this this impossible labyrinth Ariadne is also sort of like helping Cobb she's lead, doing one with the whole Mal situation helping him to reconcile his 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 guilt the labyrinth of guilt he's built around himself regarding Mal like she's the one who's by his side in the end she also this is totally not related to any of the stuff that you were just talking about <laughs> yeah yeah whatever but we're done with that she, yeah. <laughs> I just thought it'd be cool Transitioning into something else, um, one of my favorite shots of the entire film is when the other side of the street starts coming upward when she's in that first dream with mm-hmm. Cobb, and the camera pans to her, and it's kind of above her, and her eyebrow just shoots up just a little bit. I don't know why. I just love that every time. Yeah. It's just a little small thing, but it's just like... Because you know it's not really happening. It's like she's just being directed, but that's really good acting. But she's like totally thrown off by... But she's not having like a guffawed moment. Yeah. She's just a little subtle thing of not overacting, which was, which, which was, really, which was really nice. She's more stunned. Yeah, but she's not like showing it on yeah. her face. Like she's believing what she's in, but at the same time, she's intrigued. I guess yeah. is um, another thing I wanted to get to is the character of Arthur, which I always think is interesting because his real only purpose, if you watch the film kind of at face value for what it's worth, his only purpose is to really explain the plot to the audience and to the other characters. No, Arthur has a has a has a purpose, which is he's the point man on on. Cobb's team like he's the like in in the metaphor and I know I wanted to bring this up because I know how Nick I know how much you hate when people like use the metaphors like oh this movie is about making movies this film 
is about no, making movies. That's best how bad this film is, is that people have started to make, make up theories about what this film was actually about because what the film tries to be about failed in every way. So Ooh, then, unfortunately, damn. other yeah, things have to get born around Nolan them. Christopher Nolan said that in an interview of right, after this, he movie, did because, right after this movie came out. I know, but why wouldn't he? Because, of course, why wouldn't you, if you want to throw things at a wall and see any, if it sticks, any, why not? Anyway... A much so, better version of this movie is about filmmaking is the movie The Game by David Fincher, and he did it over a decade earlier. <laughs> okay. Just saying. So, author, 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 Arthur. He made a movie about dreams. He realized it sucked, and then he's like, oh, no, it's about <laughs> filmmaking, I swear. Wow. Anyway, anyway it's about both. Anyway. Sorry, why just, not both? Anyway. Why can't it be? Arthur yeah, is the producer. Why would it be both? In... Uh, in it's this not, situation, it's, it's not both. It, you can watch in it that, either way. Ahead, in that, he's helping Cobb, and he's getting him the research necessary in order to take down Cillian Murphy's character. He's pretty much helping him, just like set the stage. And he also is majorly important as he's running the second level, and it's his dream, and he's the one who's making everything at that level happen. And he also makes that crazy move from the one room to the elevator in under four minutes, which is pretty impressive since he was floating the whole time. The one thing I always like about his character, and I always thought it was, it would have been incredible if it ended up happening. It's unfortunate that it did, but Joseph Gordon-Levitt ended up getting that part, but that part was written for Heath Ledger to play that role. Oh, really? I think it would have been an amazing transition from this character, the Joker, who is all about anarchy and not following rules to that character of Arthur. It was more straight-laced and yes, more... Yes, it like... was very always about, Cobb, you should walk away from this. We shouldn't do this. He's always kind of that rule-following person who does this job, but at the same time, it's he the, has to be the voice of reason sometimes the with Cobb. party pooper is really, what he is. <laughs> I really do like Joseph in this, in this I, role. I, I think he He's up... my favorite part of it. I, right. I can honestly give or take DiCaprio's performance right. in this. But um, I, I just want to say something... Um, can I ask you guys a question as far as the consistency of how this technology, let's call it, as far as like getting into dreams and whatnot, is uh, apparent in the in this universe? Okay. So is this okay for me? That's one of the most inconsistent parts of this movie. It's like people know about it or they don't. But they, I, I, I feel like it's sort of hidden. It, it kind of it's wh- very clandestine information because it's only. The very... That seems to crop up only when it's necessary. For example, like the idea of Inception. Okay, so why is that a thing that a cop, apparently he's the best, but he's yeah. never tried it before. But then he meets Eames, and then he's like, oh yeah, it could be done. We tried it. So it's like, why haven't Cobb already tried it? Why has Eames tried it? Like, it's kind of like every time they say something, because Arthur's the one who's like, oh yeah, that can't be done, or whatever. Then he goes and meets up with Eames, and he's like, oh yeah, it can be done. Like, it's kind of like the script is so... I think Eames is just talking out of his ass. It's he seems like that one of that kind of guy. That pretty much well, every, yeah. that everybody has worked for some different organization that has... Mm-hmm. And that's why I brought up the movie Looper, because in Looper, time travel is, is a real, but yeah. it's outlawed, and it's kind of done... Kind of done but, very under. Okay, the what table. class? What class is Michael Caine teaching? Architecture. <laughs> he no no. I'm just is that it. Like he's just teaching architecture. That's it. He teaches like not dreams. He talk. He there, teaches. There is obviously way more to this story than we are told. Even though there is all kinds of exposition. That's, in but this that's movie. what gets confusing. It's not so much that he built a universe that I want to know more about. It's like he built a universe that I can't fundamentally understand <laughs> because I just don't get. So, but no, but that, I was just, that was just a genuine question as far as like, is, is he teaching a dream like architecture class? Let me, let because me, how does one transfer to the other? Let me try, no, I, let I don't me try think to put this together. Michael Caine is a professor and that's just, oh, he came up with this 
algorithm, I feel like there's way more to the story of him and Cobb. Like he is a, almost like a scientist who is like almost like a doc Brown person who came up with this on his own time. And his, he doesn't do it anymore. Like he's tried to get away from Here, that. Here's how I'm yeah. connecting the, like Michael Caine's character to the dream machine, as we're going to call it. And how like Cobb got involved into everything with it. So, Remember when they got out of the first dream and Arthur does his uh, his exposition dump where he's just like, that's why the military made this. They were trying to like train like soldiers in a different way. And mm-hmm. it was just like – and where the architects like come in is like, well, somebody had to build these things. I think that like Michael Caine's character as an architect – as an architecture like professor, it's not too – much of a leap that they would try to defer to him and his expertise in trying to like build these things. And somehow he still had access to one of these things and his, his protege and an eventual like son-in-law would be somebody he would try to groom into actually like doing that sort of stuff. So why is he totally cool with Cobb? Because, because he knows that it wasn't Cobb's fault, but it was, (laughs) I mean, that's, does, has he just not told him about that or, (laughs) I don't know. That's kind of a weird relationship. Kenny, Wait a minute. what was not Cubs? Well, what are you talking? About? I'm lost. Mal. Maldine. So yeah, he was not able to go back to the United States because he right. was going to be on trial for murder mm-hmm. if he was going back to the United States. But Michael Caine is Maul's father. He's trying to be found for murder yeah. of his daughter. Wait, and he... Maul's father? I thought it was Cobb's father. No, that's no? that's Maul's father. Oh, okay. No, I just I just genuinely yeah. didn't know. Yeah. But why? I I, I guess I'm not understanding why. Why was that his fault that she died? Like because he impor- he performed Inception on her in order to get her. It that that's where the guilt comes in. He performed Inception on her, in so order he had to, already done it in order yes. to. Oh, okay, I yeah. In, he in, he is very reclusive. In order person. to have them leave that dream state that they were already in, right? But he did it in such a way that it it irre- irrevocably changed her. She thought that even when she woke up. She was still in a dream, and that's why she killed herself. So here's my question. If he had already tried Inception and it went this horribly, then why would he ever think that it would work? Because he wants to go – because it's very personal. Because at the end of the day, he just he's doing this all because he wants he's, to go back to his He's trying kids. to exercise himself yeah. from his guilt. Even though he doesn't want to do this again, he just wants to see his kids. I get all that. I, I still just I, – I don't – I mean I, I get what you're saying about yeah. Maul, but I don't, I don't understand like – like that, I, I, that, I would just say I would think it would be a little awkward with him. Well, yeah, right. Him on on trial for murder if he goes back to the U.S. of his daughter and him just right. being like, "Oh, hello, Cobbett. Why do you call him Cobbett?" By Cobbett. the way, that's weird. <laughs> Kenny, yeah, you you started off, got us started off, and you've kind of you've kind of been sitting on the sidelines listening to the three of us bickering about this movie. Back well, you and guys forth. have been busy pissing on my parade. Here. No, no, I'm not trying to. I, no, 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 I, no. I didn't mean it. take that in the spirit which is intended. I just yeah. I I never have really looked at this in a bad light and. I haven't had many conversations with people about this movie, and I, as I've stated many times on the show, I am very much the shallow movie viewer, and I guess I never really looked too much into all of that stuff, and, and what's always just captivated me about this was, was the whole submersiveness of being within a dream, and I just thought everything down to <clears throat> the different time changes of the different levels of the dreams and everything, it's just... I don't know. It's just like mesmerizing to me when when the van scene as it's falling off of the bridge in super super slow motion. Which I, I'm getting the feel that you guys didn't like that. No, I, I liked but... a lot of these 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 individual scenes and parts when I'm first watching them because it's, it's right. it is very 
like I've said before, it's it's very visually impressive. It's it's interesting right. trying to see all these working pieces just like kind of like intersect together in order to create this this dream machine sort of. So you so you've seen Alex, you've seen it like six or seven times. You've yeah. seen it uh, Tucson, you've seen how many? Five times, I think. Nick, how many times have you seen this movie? Like start to finish, I've seen it three times. I saw it once. Okay. In the Did you like it more the first time you saw it? Are you kind of first like, time? Like yes, like I, I like it less every time okay. I see it. I just watched it the other day for the second time. Oh, okay. Mm. So I'm kind of wondering now, after listening to you guys, if I go back and watch it again, maybe I'm gonna start just shitting on this movie as well. Well, it, no, I mean, there, there are plenty of things you brought up. Loving the kind of change in time, I think that's the weakest part of this whole movie. That there was really. Ooh, I it, beg to differ. That's my favorite part. Okay, no. It, <laughs> it, it, I could see it being your favorite part, but in the third world, uh-huh. things are supposed to be so stretched out mm-hmm, for right. the most part that what is what happens in five minutes in the first level right. should take seven weeks in the next level, which it, it's all happening in real time, linearly, for the audience, which you couldn't really do it to make sense for an audience in a two-and-a-half-hour movie. Can, it brings up the so problem many is weird it, questions. It, it, the problem is it is walking the line between logical and comprehensible, and so it has to choose one or the other. Can I t- can I talk about like no. one thing that <laughs> really bugs me in hindsight? Like thinking about it really about, bugs me. It does bug <laughs> me in hindsight because it, it totally clues into my whole argument that like Christopher Nolan is incompatible with this subject matter, and it's like even the the worst scenario in this film which is limbo which is as they say it's un unconstructed yeah. dream space like what is what is limbo all it is is just a bunch of of fucking decaying buildings and then it's saito who's really old inside some old japanese like but he was in a where, different level of limbo where right? are the giant 60 foot nightmare clowns with fucking balloon animals for genitalia okay what? okay this is unconstructed dream space. Where's the f- fucking mindfuck shit? Well, well, no, I just thought it would be more blank. Like, if it's supposed to be limbo, shouldn't it just be white and nothing else? Yeah. Okay, wait, here's... I want to ask another genuine question. Because, like I said, I've only seen this three times, so maybe I am just confused about certain things. But the, the thing at the very beginning, when you see Saito and he's in limbo, which, yeah. you, of course, you don't know unless you've yeah. seen the entire film. So that actually has nothing to do with the... Because then they cut to the dream in which they're auditioning for Saito, basically, right? Because it, it literally, that's one of the weirdest, and that's why this I feel like this film does have some editing problems. Maybe not so much during the heist scene, because that's pretty well kept together. But it literally cuts from the Saito limbo in the beginning to the Saito audition. And I'm just trying to figure out why he opened with that, because... Yeah, it blindsides you big time. Well, it blindsides you, but it's it's just confusing and not. I think it was it was meant to confuse the. No, no, but it's not like a hook thing because I didn't like go like, oh, I want to know more about this. It was just kind of like, why the hell did you even just show me that? Because I don't care about that. So are we in a dream? For me, Inception in general is like, it's the kind of movie. Before it came out, I was excited to see it. I heard Christopher Nolan was making this movie. I heard what it was going to be about, and that alone excited me. And and I think that's, as of late, what Christopher Nolan is kind of like the microcosm of what I have a problem with with his filmmaking, which is he's so good at taking these ideas that seem kind of unfilmable in some ways because, mm-hmm. um, you know, like dreams and kind of like how do you like stretch an entire movie premise around that and whatnot. And not only that, but because he's so big now, he can have the money to really back up what he wants to do with I it. I was going to say another thing about that is everybody was on the hangover effect from The Dark Knight where that had been huge and many people who did not know really Christopher Nolan were during The Prestige or mm. 
uh, Batman Begins or any of those. Now, now they knew his Now name. they knew who he was, and in, way more people flocked to the theaters. I mean, this movie did like $890 million worldwide. A lot of people went to see it, and I guess there's, a, there's just a different audience viewing his films now than were 10 years ago. It's not just uh, the music box uh, moviegoers. It's now just all general audiences. Yeah, right. Uh, so what I was saying was that he basically, he takes these ideas that are very abstract and like, I would say intellectual at face value, mm-hmm. but then he packages them so nicely and so neatly that the only audience that he's trying to serve are the mainstream. Right. <laughs> Kenny's raising his hand right now. That's fine. Which is totally fine. But then it's kind of like, why is, I feel like you're just selling yourself short when you're touching these ideas. I mean, when you look at interstellar, that has to do with wormholes and theoretical physics and stuff like that. But when we want, went and saw that, it was he just simplifies these very very complex ideas. We won't talk too much about Interstellar because it's a recent movie that we may hit on at some point. But I feel like that movie tries to simplify almost everything about it, and then it goes way into this very complex idea. Almost you almost get broadsided by it late in the film. Yeah, and I just that's kind of like I feel like there's a microcosm of Christopher Nolan. He tries to do everything, and then he gets to a point where he can't. He's just like, fuck it. I'm just just going all the way, and yeah. if you guys can't figure it out, then you're fucked. But so. even when he goes all the way, it just doesn't feel like he's going all the way. Well, that's what I mean, though. Like, when we were... Okay, what, what's Sorry. the guy going back? We're talking full penetration with no lube or lube? What's going on? I, I have no idea. <laughs> it, it's just like... It, it, like, you, like as, as far as he can exert himself, that it, it still doesn't truly like fulfill the premise that he set up i yeah for example when dom uh yeah dom is explaining all the rules to ariane like i'm kind of watching that scene and i'm like this is where he's setting himself up to fail because Mm -hmm. he took this amazing idea and he just basically i don't know because this is where a script writing he just built walls around it yes Let's talk a little more about the characters in this movie. You mentioned uh, earlier that you weren't crazy about Leonardo DiCaprio's performance. The person for me who always comes from this film, who's almost the comic relief throughout this entire film, who has become a much different actor, now that he's a lot more famous, is Tom Hardy, who plays the character Eames, yeah. who's always my favorite part. Just some of the lines he has, like when he, uh, the line we played from the clip where he's talking to Arthur when they were trying to shoot the guy down during the first level. Mm-hmm. And he says, you mustn't be afraid to dream a little bigger, darling. The fact that he calls him darling always <laughs> yeah. just makes me happy. Don't yeah. know why. What are your guys' feelings on not necessarily just Tom Hardy, but other people in this film? Were they good? Were they bad? <sighs> who the hell? <laughs> no, who... where's this going? Continue that sentence. Mal. Ma- Marion Cotillard. Yeah, Mar- yeah. I, I don't know her from anything else. Uh, Dark Knight Rises. She was in the Dark Knight Rises. She Dark won... Knight, I didn't see the Dark was... Knight Rises. I, sorry. I, I apologize. <laughs> really? Even Nick saw the Dark Knight no, Rises. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately. Uh, <laughs> um, she won an Oscar when you wouldn't have seen this movie for a uh, French film about uh, Edith Piaf called La Vie en Rose. Actually, I did see that. You did not. <laughs> I was going to say, fuck off, man. Yeah. I just saw that for the first time last year. She was just nominated for an Oscar just in the past ceremony for uh, she was in a French movie called Two Days One Night where she was, which is very rare for foreign movies to get nominated in a major category that's not best foreign film and she was nominated for best uh, lead actress in it. Yeah, the only reason I brought her up is she's for whatever reason something draws me to her. She's she's attractive. Well, yeah, she's she's a good looking chick for sure, but she's just she's she's creepy as shit in this movie. She's got a the, magnetic kind of menace about her. Right. Well, the scene where they're in um Cobb's 
dream mm -hmm. subconscious and and they're taking the elevator down to the bottom level yeah and like that that shit every time i watch this movie that shit creeps me out yeah i don't, I don't know if that's just me or not but well she's... in that scene too it's kind of the only real scene she has with ellen page where they're next to each other and it's weird because marion cotillard's kind of like tall and ellen page is like four foot two so she gets up to her and she's like oh my god she's a monster she's gonna eat her <laughs> <laughs> holy shit she's gonna gobble you up yeah seriously she's like who are you who are you bitch she's like ah, i'm just here to find out what's happening with his dreams is that the unrated version i didn't see that <laughs> yeah oh, i don't think that actually got filmed but i i love that elevator part though that elevator right. scene going up through his different like yeah, dream pretty, things pretty even though it makes no sense i love it makes sense yeah Okay, so I want to ask you guys a question okay. about totems. Okay? okay, so there's obviously the and how they have no point. <laughs> yes, they don't have. They're no... just a narrative device to scream ambiguity instead of uh, actually coming up with deep ideas. Sure. Anyway, um... it's also kind of a problem that nobody else ever uses their totem other than Cobb. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> no, you're narrowing it down for me. Okay. <laughs> um, the question of like. Dom Cobb's uh, totem. Like, it's obviously not the top. The top is, like... Maul's totem. Maul's totem. And then there's the um, the theory that it's the ring, which I, I actually subscribe to as of very, very recently. But I actually read a another theory about <laughs> his totem. And it may not actually be a physical object, but it might actually be, like, a mental image. And that is the, the image of his... Don't shake your head at me. That makes the, no sense. The image of his his children's face. Um, How is that even like possible? I mean, first of all, I don't even subscribe. To, I I think that his totem is Mal's top, even if mm -hmm. that's stupid and it breaks the laws of the movie set actually sets out. Yeah, but. Um, how if a totem is supposed to be something that nobody else can create? Everybody can create the images of his ch child's faces. If but that's nobody else has seen his child's face in that movie. Nobody, not Michael Caine. Not Michael Caine's not on the mission though. But he could, I'm just saying, like if we're just gonna follow that thread logically, they couldn't get a picture of his. I mean, that makes. I, don't, I have no more to say because I just don't know how that could be. I, I, it's okay, buddy. When it comes to the totems, I'm I'm all on board with the ring theory because it's. One Maybe. ring to rule them all. One <laughs> ring to guide them. <laughs> okay, this is this has been a very interesting show so far. Dream is collapsing, man. That it is very much true. <laughs> Thank you. That yeah. is that is a perfect explanation of this right now. Yeah, he isn't ever wearing the ring in these scenes that are supposed to be real, and he is wearing the ring in the the, the which would make sequences. the totem actually not exist. Because then, if he can't wear them. If he can't, if we never see a ring yeah. in one of the reality scenes, then how could it be the ring? Because the whole point is he's supposed to have it in reality more so than even in the dream because he's got to be able to see if he's still dreaming or not. But maybe so, he dreams of him in his dreams. He's still married. To right. Like all. that's, that's yeah. all I think of when I think of the wedding ring. And that's just his image of himself as far as he but wants But that would to be separate the dreams state from the living in reality state though. Yeah. Yeah. No, the whole top though, that was made to be his totem because... Otherwise, he's the most not, iconic. No one like, would not have gotten this film. precious little money shot of letting the audience come back and buy another ticket because the top he cut it off before the top spilled. Okay, over. so here here's my other question: Like, what's your verdict on the ending of this film? It's bullshit. Dr nothing matters. <laughs> dream or no dream? That's what I'm asking you, Nick. But I literally don't have an answer to that because I don't feel like the lot there's any logic leading up to it. So like, I can't answer that question because I don't think the movie even gives me a sufficient enough, you know, 
I don't know, database to pull from because nothing about this movie makes sense. So therefore, mm-hmm. I'm not going to put. I'm only going to get what I put into. You're not going to exert more than ten percent of your your, your yeah. brain power. You, you guys made film. fun of Lucy on the other podcast, <laughs> but literally Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character at one point repeats what Morgan Freeman says, but yet we don't call him out on it. And it's we, bullshit. But um, no, I, I don't have a particular interpretation of the ending. I will say this though: if the if he's not dreaming, like if if it's reality, then that's a stupid movie. Like that's worse than if he is dreaming. Because if he's not dreaming, then it's just a very simple heist movie, and that that's it. If he is dreaming, at least then we're thematically tying into the idea that he is, uh, you know, trapped in his own subconscious and can't escape. His well, own I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna have to to Let's clue in with something because like. When this film came out, um, there was a interview with one of the uh, the costume designers that was talking about like the kids and stuff, right? And she was like, "Yeah, if you notice, then like the the kids like in in I know they're in, two in, they're in, separate actors. They're they're separate actors yeah. or something like that." And I'm just like, they were in the same clothes though. They're so in, they're in the same clothes, and I was just like, does that mean that it's not a dream? No, but I think that's actually just another detail that Christopher Nolan just didn't think of when he wrote the script. And mm. he just, in my opinion, like, there's just so many things going on here. This is a movie about dreams. This is a movie about a heist. This is a movie about a man, Cinema. Who, who, a man who's got PTSD. This is a movie about so many different things that none of them are given enough weight to actually matter at mm. the end. I will also bring up another thing. We could talk about dreams being real or not being real. Coat Cobb's old place that he's running from that he's on the run from not necessarily the u.s government whatever is called cobalt engineering cobalt engineering which the first three letters are cob which are the first three letters of his last name so i, I don't know i've conspiracy always... he's running from himself yeah well you know yeah. where else that comes into play the uh the main six characters the first letters of their names spell oh, spelled out, dreams spell dream, yeah. yeah wait do they really right. i think so what the f- uh, I never knew that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, because Eames. Okay. Hmm. Yeah. I think that's Wait. right. No. Yeah. yeah Saito. Do- Dominic. What, what's the R? Dom Arthur. Um, Eames. There's no R, is there? There's Dreams. No, there is. There's Ariadne. But that starts with an A, according to the subtitles that yeah. I have. I'll get to and the Yusuf. Okay. Anyway. Y- y- Yusuf is not an R. Um, Fisher's yeah. first name is Robert. Okay. Oh, yeah, that's what right. I was wondering. Okay. okay. That's pretty... See, that's the thing. It's like, why is no one putting this much thought into, <laughs> oh, their names are an acronym of the word DREAM, and not into, like, actual thematic material? Like, that only makes me more pissed off at this movie. Anybody else uh, have anything? Kenny, you still not... Uh, yeah, well, you, I, I really don't have much to counter here. I, mean, I, I don't want you to counter. I, Nick's, I, Nick's fucking <laughs> letting his period out all over this movie. Wow. It's just, it's just wow. shitting all over it. I, I really but, can't counter any of that. You don't have any rebuttal of things Ooh. that you love Ooh. about it that they're talking shit about? See, see, that's the problem with what you guys are, are bringing to the table here. Mm-hmm. You're, you're attacking parts of the movie that I just... When I watch movies, I don't think about this shit. And I so, can and I can appreciate that. I think yeah. that this 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 the you're attacking the technicalities. How do you describe yourself as as a as a film guard? You've said it before on on the shallow is okay. Fuck. Okay, so then there's like there's nothing wrong with that. I think I think that I actually sort of admire that because you're able to just like experience a film from the very raw experience of the film without having to get into the nitty gritty stuff and that. Like right. there's different types of of gratifications that people can take away from films. Like I, for one, I enjoy like talking about themes. I enjoy talking about um, production designs. I love talking about 
title sequences and shit like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and and having the, the the broad stroke experience of like enjoying the film. There's nothing wrong with that. And I'm, I like shitting over every movie ever made, <laughs> unless it's Magnolia. But Starship Troopers, <laughs> yeah, it's that like is, it's like it's a great movie for for for, for Nick and I, I. I'm not sure if this it didn't really scratch the itch that we we gain validation or gratification out of a film. And I can totally understand like if you Kenny or you Alex like really enjoyed it. It's like that's fine. It's like we're just talking about purely the the strengths and weaknesses from both of these different standpoints. I dislike this movie because of, of how much I like this concept. Yeah, and as far as like. Like I said, I was so excited to see it. So I've therefore, seen films. yeah, and so therefore, when I when I went and saw this, my disappointment is probably maybe due to expectations, maybe due to this or whatever. But it doesn't, and I won't say conform to what I want it to be. But I will say this much: like it doesn't um, give me, I would say the uh, the depth I want it to go. I'll say that much at least. Which is doesn't mean that it's a bad movie, but it's just not the movie for me. Because... Nick, it went through five different levels in Limbo. What more do you want? <laughs> Can I give this uh, – are we going to ratings now? I've got nothing left to really hit on. I've got something yeah, left. I, as, as I said. Okay. Well, let's I, do final thoughts and ratings then. Let's do it. And Tucson, why don't we start with you since you already kind of – Semen out a little bit on it. Yeah, so, so... So we've had period blood, yeah. we've had shit, and now semen. Oh, yeah, God. it's been a really highbrow episode. This is the episode in which all of our listeners stop listening. Oh, God. Please forgive us. Okay, anyway. Um, like, one more thing that I wanted to clue in on is, like, I just... I, I thought it was funny. I explained it to a friend. Um, it's like, talking about how relatively drab of an approach this is to actually, like, other dream moves and just the subject matter of dreams like just the settings like the settings are are cool like in in the context of like a heist movie but as a dream they're very relatively tame like i wrote these down it's just like it's like oh look there's a parisian coffee house a cramped mombazian city square a contemporary office building and an arctic military base but wait everything's sideways now like that's as crazy as this shit gets like are you fucking serious yeah yeah, like, shouldn't there be, like, a carnival happening somewhere in the middle of this dream? <gasps> yes. It's like, oh, shit, let's go get some balloons. Yeah. And then they come back to the rest of the dream. Yeah. 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 So. Giving my, my final verdict on this film. Yes, I, <laughs> I don't I don't hate this film. I don't think it's it's a spectacular film. I, I It's far from a classic in my mind, but I can still, like, take a, a very surface enjoyment from it. I'm going to give it... Uh, three bombs out of five. And yeah, but I'm... I want to say, if you give another three out of five star rating to any other movie, I'm going to come after you. <laughs> what the fuck, man? Because I just, I don't understand. I'm just kidding. But you've given, I think you've given that rating to like the last like five movies we've done. I know. The Big Lebowski excluded. Yeah. I'm yeah. just kidding though. It's fine. Yeah. Actually, I gave It Follows a four out of five. You did. That's right. I forgot we did. That was a bonus episode. <laughs> yeah, but that was the episode I really wanted to do. Anyway. Um, we, we, we know. I'm going to give this, uh, <laughs> yes, I know, uh, three out of five just because I think that it's an enjoyable film. It's far from a perfect film, and it sort of just doesn't completely follow through on its its premise or its its subject matter, but you can still enjoy it. Okay. Who wants to go next, Nick or Kenny? I can go next. Go ahead, that Nick. way we can end the show on a positive note. <laughs> there you with go. You yeah. and Kenny. Um, yeah, at the end of the day, this is a film that tells its audience what it's about at every corner. Dreams, 
but then basically turns into a heist film, but then is also about uh, living with PTSD and a failed marriage. But then is also, and that's just the kind of the problem with Cinema. this movie, is that he got this huge budget, and he said he's making a movie about dreams, but he really, like you said earlier in the episode, he made a movie about virtual reality. This isn't dreams as we know it. This isn't dreams. Despite the fact that all these characters will try to convince you and the audience and these other characters that this is how dreams act, but it's really not because... The the way that they were trying to like like the whole idea of an architect makes no sense to me, and I'm not obviously going to go down a rabbit hole as to like plot holes or whatever. But that mm-hmm. right there is actually a good example of why this movie fails for me. Because if you have an architect to basically design these dreams, because they they're not supposed to know that they're dreaming. Well, we at least as far as me, I don't know how you guys dream, but when I dream, and I don't know that I'm dreaming because I'm dreaming. Like that's just that's a simple divide. And there could be things like I've had dreams where like my brother had a different hair color than he normally does, but I don't look at that and go, oh my God, I must be dreaming because he has red hair in this dream. Oh, what? And then I, you know, I wake up sweaty, whatever, like that never <laughs> happened. So that's, that's what I don't understand is why you put all these rules in place to basically neuter this amazing concept. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the day, I, I thought the visually this film was okay um i think the hallway scene was pretty great i admit but that's one scene in the entire film the rest of it i could give or take i mean it's it's not didn't like the uh blowing up fruit in the uh sidewalk cafe scene no not really that was that was like that's what like tucson just said earlier like oh you can turn things sideways like oh you could blow up fruit great nolan what else you got (laughs) like if this is a dream show me some fucked up shit don't just you know be squeezing bananas left and right so um, so yeah, visually this film is okay. It's very uh, Freudian, like, act- like- <laughs> acting wise, nobody's doing anything great here. Um, unfortunately, uh, as far as just concept wise, he, that's where he completely fails for me because it's not about dreams at all, despite the fact that they'll make you think that it is. And then thematically, because we have to listen to over an hour's worth of expo- exposition about dreams, we're not actually sufficiently building up this emotional undercurrent between Mal and Cobb's character for me. So it's just, it. I would even say it tries to do too much, but it tries to do too much of the thing that it tries to do. That it's just, it's like over bloated and just not very fun to watch because you're going to have to sit through an hour of exposition just to get to a very bland heist. That's and yet it's also supposed to be about dreams. So at the end of the day, I, I'm not a fan of this film really at all, despite the fact that there are some good set pieces here and there and whatnot. So I would give it one and a half out of five stars because I'm just not a fan. Okay, okay. very very good. Uh, I'm going to be a little higher than both of you. Uh, I gave this film a five out of five. I'm a okay. huge fan of it as a film viewer. I can appreciate almost everything about this movie, whether it be the ability to watch this from a different perspective almost every time. Okay. Watch this film as Cobb is dreaming the entire time. Watch this film as Joseph Gordon-Levitt is... Uh, there was a theory out there that he is the one who is pretty much initiating this entire dream to happen to get Cobb out of this world that he's in, mm-hmm. living in, that he's kind of doing all this stuff under the surface that you don't even realize about. Which, again, I don't even say that it has merit, but I... It's almost like Fight Club, where I feel like I can watch it a different way almost every time, thinking of a different theory. And I I can watch it, and even though you can poke holes and poke holes, poke holes. (laughs) (laughs) Talk about doing fucking polkas here. This is really bad. (laughs) (laughs) Poke holes (laughs) in all of those theories and a lot of things about this movie. 
I just have a great time going on the ride. That for, and uh, as I said earlier, the scenes where Yusuf is driving the truck backwards and driving and tumbling, and Joseph Gordon-Levitt is dreaming in the second level. We have Tom Hardy, who's the dreamer, in the third level. We're seeing them all trying to accomplish these tasks, and it's kind of moving linearly through and going back and forth and back and forth. I just love that, and the Joseph Gordon-Levitt fight scene with the projection in the spinning room is one of my favorite scenes in any movie I've ever seen. I'm yeah. a huge fan of the way that he can like move on the wall. You're almost getting like a Spider-Man feel, but in a in a real world, even though it's a dream, mm-hmm. like it's not a, he's not a superhero or anything like that. Uh, and as I mentioned, I love Tom Hardy's character in this movie of Eames. This is why he has a starring role in three movies every year now because he was he's a, breaking out now. A for the most part, somewhat unknown British actor up until Inception. He had a couple roles in yeah, like a Bronson or something. Bronson, yeah, yeah, that would be a good example of a smaller film that he was a starring role in. That yeah, people have seen it, but they don't really. But he became a huge star because of this film. And there are just so many other things about this movie, whether it even be um, the character of Saito, who's a bachelor important in the story. He says the same things over and over that Maul says. So him and her are almost mere images of each other, even though they're different kind of characters. And it just for me, every time I sit down and watch this movie, I just like it. I, I feel like I like it a little bit less. Like I... I'm getting worried that someday I won't won't like it as much as a five out of five because mm-hmm. I totally get where you guys are coming from of noticing the small things, noticing the problems in the story, noticing the problems in the plot, and I, I get and I do concede there are problems with this movie and they are there, but at the same time I have a great time watching this every time I sit down to watch it. So it's a five out of five for me, and I'm a big fan of Inception. I'm gonna echo your five out of five and you guys had me thinking for a little while whether or not i should be dropping it but you know what i'm not going to i'm gonna piss on you guys that's okay <laughs> no, man no it's uh Hold strong man we're what, proud what of it you. is tucson you were asking me what kind of movie movie viewer i am and and i'm very much i i go into movies i don't read into them i don't take any stock in trailers things like that yeah. and and after the movie i don't go and i I don't diagnose it and read into it for the most part. I mean, sometimes I will, but so you, you feel about the film as you like watched in the moment of watching it. Right. Yeah. And, and yeah, I mean, sometimes I, I feel as, as a movie viewer, I'm like, I, I joke that I'm a very shallow viewer, but sometimes I, I wish I wasn't like that, but that's just the way I take movies in. And yeah. if you guys are saying Christopher Nolan, butters up his movies for the general public and, and so on and so forth and he's masterful at it puts then. a nice little bow tie on it well that's ex- he's hitting me that that's who he's shooting for and it, it it's hitting its target and it's doing exactly what he's shooting out to do he's like a more cerebral michael bay i think every director is a more cerebral <laughs> michael bay. well um visually i love this movie as far as the the effects go and and, and the whole as as the everything's turned upside down and the and the and the road is on top of them and the the fruit blowing up and shit like that. I mean, <laughs> when it all comes down to it, like it's it's a fucking movie. Like those are rules that are meant to be broken. I guess if you want. I mean, I, mean, I, I know what you're saying. Like it sets out to be this big, lofty, you know, ambitious project. But you know, when it comes down to it, it's just it's, it's a movie. If you if you break down anything too far, you're gonna you're gonna find some flaws in it. But um, God, I'm getting like shades of Prometheus now again. <laughs> it's like, oh God, sorry, sorry. 
No, like, like, that's a perfectly example of like what happened in our last episode with that. Okay, right. Continue. I, you know, the, the different scenes. Uh, I, I joked earlier about when I watch this, I, f- I feel like I'm in the Sims video game, <laughs> and and then there's the uh, what scenario was it the the third dream sequence when they're on the snowmobiles and, yeah. and whatnot. Yeah. Um, that 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 brings me back to like playing James Bond mm-hmm. video games and yeah. shit, and it's just. I don't know. I, I I find myself fully submersed in this and and wishing that that I could actually be in a scenario like that and be able to just build my own dreams and shit like that. And as dumb as it seems, that's exactly what movies are supposed to do. They're supposed to make you just yeah. forget Suspension that you're of disbelief, yeah. right? Yeah. So I'm, I'm giving it a five out of five. Still, way to go, man. Sounds good. Those I, I can see, I can see what you guys are saying. And now, like Alex said, I'm almost afraid to watch it again. <laughs> like I, like I'm gonna watch it and not like it like i let down man (laughs) so i will say uh, i feel like a a line that was maybe even shoehorned in in (laughs) post-production when um cob is mowing down all of uh the projections in the third dream Mm -hmm. (laughs) and ellen page says something like are you killing parts of his brain he's like no no those are just projections i'm like that was just (laughs) shoehorned in for no reason other than for people to be like wait a minute yeah they're killing this guy's brain yeah uh, yeah, so I don't. Uh, I'm glad that everybody was able to kind of bring their different perspective on this movie to the table. Is it, it, it is a movie that everybody has an opinion of, which I feel like even if you don't like, I know Nick, you only gave it one and a half. But I was going to add one more thing before we're we're done. That yeah, uh, one of the things I, I do like Christopher Nolan's attention to detail and the fact that he brings in things that he's inspired by and in, into the movies that he does. The the uh, the the trombone that slow droning tr- trombone part that's the main part of the the score. Um, did you did you guys know that you know the French song that they play mm-hmm. when, when they're like alerting? It's an you know, Edith Piaf song. Yeah, right. I, that trombone connection. I know because she was played by Miriam Cotillard in that movie I just brought up that Kenny said he watched but he didn't because he's an asshole. <laughs> that that trombone kind of sound, that droning sound, mm-hmm. is is a it's just a part of that song, just slowed down to to match the slowing down oh, of the, the dream sequences. That's cool. yeah. Like that kind of shit. Like when I when I read that stuff, that that's all it takes. Yeah, that's all it takes for me. And, and and other stupid shit like that song is two minutes and twenty eight seconds long, and the film is two hours and twenty eight minutes long, and it's just. Yeah, uh, I think that's probably I, my. <laughs> no, it literally was. I mean, whether it's just uh, cutting the end off or something like minutia that's right, like totally I mean, separate sh- from the film itself, but it's like nice, like yeah, like it's just a stupid like little fluff facts. Like, right. that's cool. Yeah, it's cool. I eat into that shit. So yeah, whatever. I'm with you, man. I. I and I am probably the biggest Christopher Nolan fan on this panel. I know Kenny, you love him as well. I've I've I think last count I have four of his films at a perfect rating. Right. So I'm a huge fan of his. And um yeah. I'm we'll probably be talking more about him and we may be talking more about him on the superheroes episode, which we'll be doing next week. Spoilers. <laughs> we might have some of his movies showing up on some people's list. We will see. One thing we wanted to hit on really quick before we uh, bring this ninth episode to a close is earlier this week, and uh, today is uh, April 15th when we're recording, uh, two new trailers were released on Monday of this week, one of which was for the uh, the second trailer for the Ant-Man Marvel movie uh, starring Paul Rudd and Michael Douglas, and the other was for the Terminator Genesis movie, which is the uh, fifth in the Terminator series. And it is shitting all over itself. And I know Toussaint oh, had some had some opinions on it, and I wanted to give him a forum because uh, 
I, I know you were a little opinionated on it, and I, I can kind of agree with, I think, I, I think what you're going to say. I am, I am not literally, I'm figuratively going to shout into the void and hope that whoever cut this trailer somehow by some fraction hears what I'm going to say. If you are a professional, like, trailer, like, editor, right? Like, you're putting together these, these – I, I'm the kind of person that I think that there is a art and there's a craft to the promotion of a film. Less I, is more. Less is, less is more. I also think that if, if you're a really good editor and if it's supposed to be a good film, apparently, then you're able to bite around, like, the spoilerific – like details and still allure people to come in and watch the film. And so they can be adequately surprised. Like, can I just outright say what about this trailer pissed me off the most in that they revealed who the fucking, they haven't revealed who Matt Smith's character is. I think he's supposed to be like some Skynet robot clone. Fuck it. I don't care. (laughs) (laughs) They, they revealed that, that John Connor, who, up until now for this entire franchise, through the films, through the television show, through comics or whatever, he's pretty much the messianic like resistance fighter who's supposed to like deliver humanity from the clutches of like a uh, of artificial intelligence, right? And now he's the bad guy. As like <laughs> as as much as like you could have just had that in the film, and I could have been surprised by it. And angered by it. And angered – whatever whatever it is. Like that would have been an interesting twist. But the fact that you decided to put that in to the trailer before <gasps> that film has actually come out here's, and I'm supposed well, to be here, hooked by that, let, let me get, that's let me, insulting to me. Let, let me give you what I think happened. I think the, the studio did some uh, screen testing and it did not go well. Well, here's one thing, though, that's funny that you're saying this. I actually have not watched this trailer that you're speaking of, so I won't talk about this trailer, Mm -hmm. but you do know that what you're talking about is exactly how Terminator 2 was marketed. It was uh, explained in the trailer that the big twist 30 minutes into the movie that uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger's uh, character is no longer the bad guy. Okay, but that was in the first of, at that time, two movies. Yeah, yeah. And this is the fifth when we've like known. How, like many, how many years have, have elapsed since that? No, that no, film but came I'm out. just saying. I, 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 okay, I guess I'm wrong. But I just no, thought this was a funny you're, reversal. You're, of you're, that. you're not wrong. You're, you're not wrong. right about that. I, I'm saying that in the time elapsed between Judgment Day and this film, films. I, I, I would like to think that we that film editors and and film promotional people. Right, like we should be better than we, that. We should be fucking yes. better than this. Yes. But I agree with that. You're just going to pretty much chew my food and then put it in my mouth and then tell me that I'm supposed to enjoy it. Okay, let's let's First let's... of all, I did that one time. <laughs> <laughs> Nick, let's put it this way. Let's say that they leave this as a surprise and this movie comes out is it May or June? It's somewhat soon now. It'll happen. Okay, it's, it, <laughs> okay. <laughs> that is actually a fact. Thank you, Tucson. So this movie comes out. Let's just say it comes out opening weekend. Big surprise. John Connor is now the bad guy. And he's, he kills his mother and whatever. If that happens. Terminator again. Age of Bad John. <laughs> also. Like, it's like Age of Ultron. Yeah. But... I, 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 I... <laughs> cluing, in, cluing into this. Like don't. Don't be. Don't go into this next Terminator film. Just thinking, don't go see it. Don't. Don't. We're not going to say that. Okay. Don't but, go into but, this next Terminator film expecting answers, like questions to be answered, because guess what? There's going to be another trilogy. Well, and if you went into fucking Rise of the Machines thinking that, you were just going to be disappointed. When, was that Nick Stahl? Wasn't he playing? So if you go from Nick Stahl, Christian Bale, and now you've arrived at Jason Clark, who I actually really love as an actor, mm-hmm. but he's 
he's getting more and more roles. He was in the Planet of the Apes movie last year. Yeah, that was great. I love that movie. Why is he a bad guy now? I I still don't get. I know. I know. What are you doing? What are you doing? Anyway, continue. Why is he a bad guy now? Well, yeah. I I just. I really want to know why are we changing his character to become? And I know at the end of the day they're going to save him, or it's going to be a fake version of him that isn't really the real John Connor. It's the fucking move from the last Muppets movie of oh look, it's Constantine. It's bad Kermit to ruin children's dreams. Genesis is pretty much. Like an inversion of Judgment Day. Everything about it is an inversion version of Judgment Day because you even have like the the but all the actions happen before the first film. The, let me right? let me let me talk about the the chronology of of the Terminator films. Don't don't think about it, okay? <laughs> because this is is like to borrow from another. Well, fa- then why are you thinking to, about it? To bother <laughs> no to borrow from no, another. Just saying, you're the one who's getting angry. To Borrow from another sci-fi fandom. To paraphrase, this is wibbly wobbly, timey wimey bullshit. Okay, <laughs> that, was, that was that was plagiarism, really. Oh, whatever. It 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 it's it, it, it's it's things matter until they don't. That that's how how time travel stories, like lazy time travel stories, work. And pretty much, let's let's face it. Terminator is pretty fucking lazy. What I'm taking from this is I'm going to be the only one that likes this fucking movie. <laughs> oh, shit, man. Are I'm going to be the only one. You think this actually looks pretty good? I, I don't know. I, okay. I watched part of I just don't movie. really have any interest in the franchise of the whole I, I, Yeah, that's the thing. I, I watched the first one like 15 years ago. T2's and a it. classic. One's pretty good. The other two suck. So that's pretty much all you need to know. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, anybody have any thoughts yeah. on the Ant-Man trailer, which was much different than the teaser trailer that got released? I, I, I have one thought, which is that... Watching the trailer was very sad for me because there was one moment in the entire trailer that gave me a glimpse of what Edgar Wright could have done with it, mm-hmm. and then that also was still like surrounded by utter shit. And <laughs> and then I realized exactly why Edgar Wright could never be a part of it. So it was just this double-edged sword <laughs> of like I completely understood why Marvel fired him, not understood as in condoned, but I. I basically I understand what they were going for now. They were not going to get the product they wanted with him. Right, and they wanted something that uh, it takes itself seriously, but throw the joke in there every other uh, whatever. But uh, but the scene at the very end of that trailer where you see the train thing, um, you know, and then you I don't even know because I barely pay attention, but <laughs> when it because you're seeing it from the Ant Man's point of view, so he's very small. Then when yeah. it goes to the normal point of view, and you just see the train fall over the toy train, you know, yeah. little things like that. Like, that was a very funny punchline that was completely neutered by all the mediocrity uh, surrounding it. So it was a very sad thing to see for me. And I, I'll i go see it because I'll have no problem going to see it. But, uh, God, man, it just makes me... Now, I like after seeing the trailer, I could totally understand why Edgar Wright wanted to do this movie. Because mm-hmm. I think it was completely in his wheelhouse to just have fun with this, like, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids <laughs> meets Marvel. You know, like, we're joking, but, like, that's exactly what he could have had fun with, like, whatever. So, uh, yeah, it does not look great. Uh, it does not look good. I actually, not that I felt necessarily the opposite, because I still think it's going to not be great, but this is just Marvel again, just like with Guardians of the Galaxy, just being like, hey, what do you think about this? And then they're like, yeah, $500 million domestic. It's like, oh shit. But even compare me? the Guardians trailer that first got launched to this one, where at least the Guardians trailer, I know you weren't a like, big fan of that movie, mm-hmm. but the Guardians trailer, though, that was pretty fun and unique yeah. and whatnot, and that was James Gunn 
because that was the whole they do the whole the lineup you know of like the introduction of the characters which is also very smart considering it is such a unique property that most mainstream audience wouldn't know who i they didn't are. know about this and i'm pretty big on yeah. a lot of like core marvel stuff but to, like to play that and then play um, one of the seventies songs that would eventually be on the soundtrack, whatever. It's just this wonderful kind of intriguing, like, oh, how is this movie going to actually work as a movie? Yeah. Whereas this looks like a more straightforward film. It marketed just, it as, a, as a comedy. Yeah. Not to mention that this is kind of a weird situation for them because even though know, it's coming out later in the summer, obviously Marvel and Disney are putting everything they've got behind the Avengers, and really, this is not going to be any kind of fanfare. It would have gotten if it came out in September of last year. Yeah. Well, it was supposed to come out this year, wasn't it, or something? What? Like, when Edgar Wright was attached, wasn't it supposed to come out much earlier, Ant-Man? Perhaps. Okay, yeah. that's that's what I thought. Because Ant-Man like... is coming out in July? Oh, it is coming out this it's July. It's going to happen. Oh, okay, I thought I got pushed back because of it. All right, never mind. I, I must have been thinking that. That was the big criticism of it, is that right. they they switched directors, and then they're just going to keep on <laughs> yeah, going. Because that's, that's a good sign, always. Yeah. Well, anybody have any thoughts on either of these trailers? I thought it looked... Interesting, but the, the Ant-Man trailer, the, the, the Ant-Man trailer looked, <laughs> yeah, obviously the Ant-Man trailer. It looked yeah. a lot more interesting than the the first one, but yeah, I'm gonna have to echo uh, Nick's sentiment that it just it doesn't look all that different from what I've already seen before from the from the Marvel universe. Um, yeah, I'm I'm gonna go see it, but yeah, did you just draw a big dick on that picture? He he did no. Did he? What? Yeah, he did. Was it? Yes, it was. Yep. Ah, <laughs> this has been such a good show. Oh, I think that's a perfect segue into the ending of today's episode. <laughs> um, anyways, thank you very much for listening to this episode about um, Inception. And we hope you come back to listen to another episode. Yeah, if, you can, fi- if, if you can find us and then uh, stop following us and then follow <laughs> us again on iTunes. <laughs> Uh, next week, as I mentioned, we will be uh, discussing our top six favorite superhero movies of all time. Top six. And uh, everybody will give their own, so there will be 24 movies, although I'm sure no. we'll have some crossover. <laughs> probably not with my list. I will probably annoy all three of you with how uh, annoyingly pretentious I try to make Are you going to put Howard the Duck and the fucking ape, like, okay, like Rocketeer on that movie? Okay, go ahead and spoil movie? it for the audience. Are you really going to do that? No, anyway. I'm putting I know, I'm, I'm pretty <laughs> sure I know at least one movie that's going you to be on your one. list. You do know one. And I'm... I'm going to be happy that it is on that list because I what wouldn't have been what I thought of, but I think it's a a good choice. I thought of a few more just like that. Oh, just like that. Well, Uh-oh. as far as you wouldn't think of, but okay. once you, it's not like when I joked about Fast and Furious being a okay. super. It, they actually meet the criteria. Okay, very good. And also too, uh, even though it's still a couple weeks down the line, we will be doing an episode on the Avengers when that comes out and we're all going to see age of Ultron Thursday night and we're going to record an episode right after and we're going to release it on Friday the day it comes out. So you'll be able to listen to us and we're not going to do like major plot spoilers or anything like that as we've been known to do with other movies. Um, So if you want to listen to it for a nice preview of what the Avengers is going to be, that will be coming out. Uh, two weeks from uh, Friday, April 17th. So thank you very much to listening to Film Tank today, either on FilmTankShow.com or iTunes or Stitcher. Uh, also, you can find us on uh, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Film Tank Show. 
And also you can send us an email to talk about how horrible episode nine was <laughs> at filmtankshow at gmail.com. And if you just send an email of an emoticon of a dick, that would be probably in poor taste. But we'll probably actually get like four of those now. So at least we'll know that people are listening. There you go. So Nick J. Cheney was on Nick, Nick Cheney was on the show today. You can find him wow, on you're Twitter. Going all out with that. <laughs> find him on Twitter at Nick J. Cheney. <laughs> Tucson is on Twitter at the Saint of Tus. If you want to find that, good luck in the spelling, right? <laughs> Kenny Marcellus is White Limo 61, and I am Alex underscore Deekman. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll catch up with you next time.